Wednesday, 10 to noon on MutinyRadio.fm. Freeform Radio for free minds. Did you know that compact fluorescent light bulbs use 60% less energy than regular light bulbs? And that each one saves about 300 pounds of carbon dioxide a year. If all Americans switched to CFLs, we would save more than 90 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco. People from all over the Bay Area come to the Lindsay Wildlife Museum to experience close encounters with live wild animals. The museum's living collection features more than 50 species of non-releasable native California animals. Visitors can see and learn about wildlife such as eagles, owls, bobcats, coyotes, reptiles, and other fascinating creatures. The museum's world-renowned Wildlife Rehabilitation Hospital treats more than 5,000 wild animals each year with the goal of returning them to their native habitat. The Lindsay Wildlife Museum is in Walnut Creek. To learn more, visit wildlife-museum.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm. Happy Friday, everybody. It's April 1st. And you know what that means? It means it's the beginning of National Poetry Month. Didn't see that one coming, did you? National Poetry Month is celebrated throughout the country uh, to to, uh, give praise um, to poetry, the uh, the often very free verse of, of, our, of our language here, which uh, although it, it leaves a lot of words out, it's meant, I believe, for you to read between the lines. Um, so we'll be celebrating National Poetry Month here on Women's Magazine and on the Common Thread Collective coming up next, of course, here at Mutiny Radio. We're here at 21st in Florida, the corner uh, right here, 21st in Florida in the Mission District of San Francisco, my hometown. And uh, it's always a it's always a, a great month to celebrate. We've got um, a lot of events coming up. Actually, tonight there's an event at the Beat Museum at 540 Broadway. Broadway Street in North Beach. Um, the upstairs gallery space is hosting the 16th and Mission St- Street Poets. Um, so that show starts at 7 o'clock tonight at the Beat Museum to kick off uh, National Poetry Month. And then uh, we'll see that book ended towards the end of the month with Poems Under the Dome, which is the it will be the 11th annual Poems Under the Dome, which has been held inside San Francisco City Hall for the past 10 years. And it, we, we refer to it as the mother of all open mics. Uh, it's a citywide event, all ages. People are encouraged to come and participate, basically. You can come, put your name in the hat literally it's a big green hat in the back of the room and if your name gets called you may get up to the microphone and read 
one poem in three minutes or less, and it could be something you've you've written. It can be uh, some an old favorite of yours, um, but it, it it does allow us to exercise the First Amendment right inside the halls of our local government, and uh, we're we we love being able to do that, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, the end of April. Thursday the 28th. Uh, so we'll have more updates about that uh, as we go along. And uh, the, the website for that is www.poemdome.net. P-O-E-M-D-O-M-E dot net. Because, of course, we're referring to the, the, gilded, uh, the gilded rotunda of San Francisco's uh, Beaux-Arts, uh, San Francisco City Hall. So happy National Poetry Month. I'm going to play a little music for you. And then I'm going to be back in a couple minutes. I'm going to be speaking to Mona Lisa Wallace uh, to talk about some of the exciting um, progress that is being made about women's rights in our country and around the world. Please stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. 
are not the way they used to be. Thanks for listening to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val, and you're tuned in to MutinyRadio.fm. Uh, we're still operating from our um, old, uh, and not so old, but uh, our, our uh, original website, PCRCollective.org, as we transition into our new website, MutinyRadio.fm. If you've tuned in, to, if you've uh, clicked onto that, you've seen uh, a brand new look for our website, and we're really excited about it, but we're still in the transition period, so all our podcasts are still available at podcast.PCRCollective.org. And... Uh, Today, hey, I want to welcome my guest, uh, Mona Lisa Wallace. Hello, Mona Lisa. Hi, Val. Mona Hello, Lisa. everyone. Yeah, Mona Lisa Wallace is uh, is I, I like I like your title, which is Esquire. Um, she's an attorney. She's an environmental and civil rights attorney. Um, so it's always a pleasure to have you into the Mutiny Radio uh, studios here to join me on Women's Magazine. Thanks, Val. And so today we're going to focus on. The ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment. And uh, what I was doing throughout the month of March is I was reading um, excerpts from a book I found at at a bookstore called Women Who Changed History, Extraordinary Women, which is edited by Catherine Edmondson. And uh, it just kind of highlights uh, women throughout history, mostly focused on American women, but also a lot of international ones as well. And so to start this conversation about the ERA, I'd like to read the insert about Alice Paul, who lived from 1885 to 1977. She was an American suffragist, which means she was out there trying to get the right to vote for women, uh, which we haven't had in this country for 100 years yet, um, four years away from that uh, monumental century. So Alice Paul, this trailblazing activist brought the techniques of British suffragists back to her Native America. She was also the author of the first Equal Rights Amendment submitted to Congress in 1923. The so-called Lucretia Mott Amendment was never passed by Congress. In the 1970s, Paul supported the later Equal Rights Amendment just as unhesitatingly. That amendment did make it to the state legislatures, but fell a few states short of adoption. Paul died in 1977 and never saw her ideas incorporated into the United States Constitution. And the wait continues. Let's talk about the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, Mona Lisa. Let's talk about it. So um, we were talking about the Equal Rights Amendment that was originally written by Alice Paul. And the idea that we believe that women um, should be protected by the law in the exact same way that men have rights. Did we do our contest yet? We haven't done the contest yet. Okay, let's do that first. Okay, so here's the contest, folks. If anybody can, can call in right now to Mutiny Radio and tell us when the Equal Rights Amendment passed, when it became ratified and law in the United States... Please give us a call right now at 415-550-0511, and I'll be waiting here to pick up the phone and have you tell us the answer. Again, the question is, when did the Equal Rights Amendment pass in the United States? We'll be right back. Give us a call. 415-550-0511. First caller gets a prize. Going back, but I'll be there. Yeah. 
Welcome back. Um, I'm happy to report that nobody called uh, to answer my question, which is when did the Equal Rights Amendment pass? And, uh, you know, that's okay because uh, it shows that everyone out there is who is listening knows that it's April Fool's. That never passed. And I cannot tell a lie. So uh, happy April, everybody. But let's actually talk about what the Equal Rights Amendment means and what it would mean um, if it were to be ratified uh, throughout the United States, um, both nationally and kind of connected internationally, because there's the international um, treatise of the CEDAW, um, which is the which would grant uh, which grants equal uh, rights and protections for women around the, around the world. But that's another treaty. It's an international treaty from the United Nations uh, that needs to be ratified by each country. Um, the United States is one of, of a handful, a small handful of countries who has not ratified CEDAW, that's C-E-D-A-W. Um, and uh, we are actually in the company of a few other countries who haven't passed it, including Somalia and Iran. So... Um, Let's look at what some of these, uh, amend the ERA, what that amendment would mean for us, and then CEDAW, what that, um, what that uh, would mean, what that means internationally. Mona Lisa, could you shed a little bit of light on, uh, on these topics? Okay, let's try that. So we were just talking about CEDAW, and that's international law. So we have international, we have federal, so each nation has their own law, and then we have states and then localities, like San Francisco is a locality. So the laws that have to do with um, um, the international, the United Nations, the international community, um, the international community has, has almost unanimously, unanimously agreed that women should have equality. Um, so the U.S., if they were to ratify CEDAW, would by default be required to um, also ratify Equal Rights Amendment here in the United States. Um, the Equal Rights Amendment was originally written by Alice Paul. Um, uh, a lot of people now um, have modified it just, just a little bit to change um, the word sex to um, gender identity. Um, I'll just read it to you now exactly how it is. And w one would think that this is already part of the Bill of Rights. Um, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of gender identity. So the idea that someone's um, gender identity should determine what their human rights are is just ridiculous. You're a human if you're a human. Um, the reason why we have a lot of the problems that we do right now in our society having to do with, for example, all of the local rules, we're talking about uh, the federal, const the constitutional level, local rules having to do with um, marriage equality and reproductive freedom have to do with the, the lack of having a constitutional or federal level, all of our U.S., United States of America um, population and citizenry not being protected by equal rights. Um, there have been little, um, there have been l little changes in the Constitution through Supreme Court rulings or bills or acts that have, for example, mandated equal pay, very specific things in specific areas that would um, simulate what equal rights would be. But because we don't actually have an equal rights amendment, it takes a lot of law cases and arguments. And if you don't find exactly the law where equality is permitted, for example, like with the equal um, employment opportunity laws, if you don't have it specifically within that, so for example, reproductive freedom, if it doesn't fit within that, well then there, the equality is not there. 
So where um, if we had the ERA, we would have all of the actors who are acting as the government. So if um, a school receives government funding, the school is somewhat like an arm of the government and is required to respect um, uh, the civil rights of people. So First Amendment, Second Amendment, it would include gender equality if we had um, gender equality. And there are many institutions that are arms of the government who are allowing discrimination to occur and why we have these um, conflicts at the state and local level over reproductive freedom is because we don't have equality. Um, and that starts at the very, very top. So um, the American Medical Association is an arm of the U.S. government. In the same way, lawyers, um, are, we have to have a membership of the, the Bar Association. And the Bar Association is given permission by the government to sort of act as the government. And the AMA is the same way, where um, if someone pretends to be a doctor and they are not actually, you know, a, 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 um, part of, of the established AMA community of doctors, if they have not, um, are not licensed under that, then they, they are commit, committing a crime. So the, the, the interweaving and intersection between the AMA and the U.S. government is, is enough that the AMA is required to respect civil rights. Um, so in that way, um, for example, women are the only gender who are subjected to um, uh, the permission by the AMA um, to have their doctor not share full information, industry standard information. Oh. <laughs> Should we answer it? It's the call. Mute the radio. It, it's Diamond Dave who's called in. All right. He's on his way down to uh, Mutiny Radio, and we're doing a women's magazine right now with Mona Lisa. So we'll see you in a little while for the Common Thread Collective. That's right. Wonderful. Thank you, Dave, for calling. We'll see you soon. Live radio, folks. Live community radio. Diamond Dave wanted to call and let us know he is on his way down to kick off National Poetry Month here for the Common Thread Collective, which is coming up next. But I'm glad we answered the phone in case somebody was calling to answer the question that we posed earlier. I know. I was hoping <laughs> we caught somebody. All right. Your listeners are just too savvy. I, I know, right? Okay, so let's go back to AMA. So AMA right, being AMA. a government arm, right? So they're allowing doctors to practice medicine where even to save a human life so um, that that they're allowing the doctors to make these decisions um, against women they're not allowing that against anyone else so that would be an obvious um, difference in gender that is being permitted because we don't have equal rights and we wouldn't need all these laws about abortion being fought at a state level if it was illegal for an OBGYN to refuse to, to practice medicine in the industry standard way. So if the industry standard says that if a woman is um, two weeks pregnant and she's having a severe reaction to the pregnancy, her blood pressure is so high that she will lose her kidneys in hours or days that she would lose the, her kidneys for the rest of her life if she didn't immediately terminate a pregnancy. And if that OG, OBGYN has to send her out of the hospital in order to maintain its Catholic status, that that's what happened in Arizona just a few years ago where um, a woman was um, w w presented who was in her first trimester of pregnancy and um, required an immediate DNC. And um, in, in that case, they did have meeting after meeting, and they decided that it was what's necessary to save her life and did that and saved her life. But um, the, the, the doctors were excommunicated, the hospital was excommunicated, and the reason being that OBGYN, that are, are being permitted to practice medicine, um, which affects women in a way that is allowing um, the 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 religious attitudes of people to affect how they treat women right. and that would be illegal if we had an equal rights amendment and and that's and that's huge uh that's huge because obviously there's a lot of um strong opinions about abortion throughout the country um but 
the fact, as you said, that doctors, um, based on personal beliefs, uh, can refuse to uh, perform a medical procedure, a routine medical procedure, a legal medical procedure. Um, and a medically required procedure. Right. A li- so and a and many terms, a life-saving yeah. procedure. Yeah. So it's fine. If that doctor has that feeling and has that, you know, religious conviction in his heart that, that he really can't do that, then he should be practicing another area of, of medicine. He should be a penis doctor or a foot doctor. But for him to be practicing as an OBGYN, but just in these certain narrow cir- circumstances that interfere with his religious practice, treats women in this way that basically endangers their lives, um, that that shouldn't be allowed by a government arm. So at the very, very top level, the AMA should not be allowing people to practice as an OBGYN if they're not willing to do the medically required industry standard treatments to known problems that continue to recur in our society. So just like just the very top level, I think that if we had uh, the passage of the ERA, we would get we would be able to overcome so many of these um, smaller and sometimes larger battles. Um, you know, another example is um, just a couple years ago, the Walmart case. Well, where, yeah, what, ha- what happened there? Um, I, I, I believe, and this is, seems like a massive, huge number. It seems like crazy talk, but I think it was one and a half million women um, affected that were denied um, class action or whatever to be able to, to sue and, um, on this. But that, that one and a half million women were paid less than men to do the same work. Which is so wild. It's so wild to me to think about that as a reality. You know, I feel like how, I mean, maybe it sounds naive, um, but I, I feel like how is that even possible that you could have two people show up for the job, same job, apply, get the job, and one person gets offered more than the other? I mean, I know that in a lot of, a lot of cases, women do make less than men, and there's a lot of different factors that go into that. I mean, there's a lot of um, research about how women approach their careers and what they're willing or not willing to ask for. So I think there's, there's some, in some fields, you know, women are making less than men, perhaps because they just didn't negotiate as much. Um, but when we're talking about a sales position, a, a retail position, um, going in and saying, I want to I be a cashier, and then having two people hired and one just being offered less money. To me, that's 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 wild. That's wild. It's wildly crazy to me. Um, and that that happens in the United States, but it does obviously. Um, so do we know what happened, um, coming out of that Walmart case? So were they able to, um, no. form a class action? No. And the, and the, and, 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 and this is how I, and I'm, I'm really not sure if I'm explaining it in the best way. And so I, I, I'd like to try again, but it, cause it really does. It has to do with the top down legal system. So from the con the U S constitution being that kind of, um, mothership of law of the United States, like at the federal level that applies to everything and kind of trumps all the other laws. So you can't make laws and at the local level that abridge your freedoms that are part of your your constitutional rights right um so putting it at that level would basically solve so many of our other many 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 different problems that are occurring through society and that has to do with not just um the passage of laws that restrict a woman's um equality but also the authorization the funding and the facilitating of the discrimination against women so that's the part where um that starting from the top down um the lily ledbetter act was a law that um, had to be signed and passed and um over a case of a woman who lost her case in the supreme court and when i went um was in law school at stanford um at that time um the I was told that oh, um, when when a, a woman finds out that she's been paid less, um, she's been um, paid um, unequally. Uh, she the the statute of limitations doesn't run on her until she's found out, until she discovered that that happened. And then because how could she have sued if she didn't know that she was being underpaid all those years before? 
And so that was just the way that the cases had gone. And we live in a common law um, um, legal system. So it's whatever the, the case law is saying is what the law is going by till finally it hits the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court's like no 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 statute of limitations you know expires on you you know if you didn't know you weren't getting paid too bad for you and so then we had to pass a special law to 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 create that and all those little laws wouldn't even be necessary if we just had that kind of initial top-down federal equal rights amendment we would just have equal rights and we wouldn't have to 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 find the other law that it fits into to demand our equality on each and every each and everything well this uh, if you're out there listening to women's magazine today um i hope that you're appreciating as much as i am this uh, big picture um and that mona lisa is presenting uh and also the the trickle down effect the uh, perhaps one of the only few trickle-down effects that might actually work, uh, since we don't really see an economic trickle-down effect. Um, but yes, uh, putting putting the the guarantee of equal rights for women into the Constitution um, would uh, serve as the uh, the benchmark for uh, so many of these cases and so many of these uh, individual and widespread acts of discrimination against women. Right. And the distribution of the resources that we currently already have and how that works. So, um, for example, like Title IX with sports, right. that trying to fit into that um, educational um, equality uh, requires following the bureaucratic loopholes of that law rather than looking at it at the top down, like are um, women in schools getting served in the same way? You know, we just um, just right now there are um, the what's it the women's soccer? Have you heard about that lawsuit where um, they're paid forty percent of what the men's soccer players, star players are, but the men's soccer has never even come close to a World Cup, and when the the U.S. women's have been several times, and the idea that we can consistently get paid less to do the same work that 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 the AMA can consistently allow doctors to make um, to to make life changing or life changing um, decisions that are against medical practice against women to allow that to continue to happen is it, it's really a top down problem. It has to do with our fundamental equal rights. And it would certainly it would certainly aid in. Um staying focused and having our legislature stay focused on things that are important. I mean, the, the, uh, the current Congress and the one prior to it, um, has spent a vast majority of its time and, and legislative efforts to try to repeal different parts of the uh, Affordable Health Care Act, um, and specifically targeting, uh, women and women's access to birth control, to, uh, abortions, um, to, uh, they've been on this uh, grand campaign crusade to defund Planned Parenthood, which provides all manner of medical attention to men and women across the country. And only about, I think they said about 3% of what Planned Parenthood does is conduct abortions, but m the vast majority of their services are medical services for people who otherwise don't have access, can't afford um you know, regular insurance or to go to a normal doctor. Um, and they, and, uh, this has been a, a, a huge crusade, um, in the U S Congress for the past, you know, as, mo yeah, and you can see you know, why it's that give and take <clears throat> that if the AMA were not allowing this discrimination to continue to occur, we wouldn't need a Planned Parenthood. We wouldn't need abortion clinics, separate clinics to do this one procedure. And then what's obviously happening is nobody just needs one procedure. You need your birth control pills. You need your, you know, you mammograms. Need you need your all your other, you know, things that you need. Your Pap smears. Yeah. So, so, so because it's it, it's just so wasteful that that to have to segregate out one narrow area of women's health care and, and and make it impossible to achieve to to acquire that outside of you know the the usual context that your usual health care so that's where we really need to think about that like where uh, um 
the police are taking an 11-year-old rape victim to the ER, well, if that ER is not going to give her Plan B or a morning-after pill so that she never gets pregnant because it's a Catholic ER and they don't um, they don't do that there or right. whatever, you know that that the, the, all those decisions. It's like the 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 police are part of the government action, the um, <clears throat> the system for the the ambulance care and all that, the hospital system, the the medical care, at least part of that. It's all part of the U.S. government. And so where the U.S. government is authorizing, legalizing, enforcing, funding discrimination against women, that all would be negated and up for up for grabs as far as new Supreme Court cases or whatever. There would be so many things that would just be suddenly brought up that would actually just negate all these local state level conflicts because they would be resolved at the federal level. Well, you've heard it here, folks, on Women's Magazine with Global Val. Uh, We're talking about the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, first introduced by Alice Paul in 1923, a big push for it made in the 1970s in which a a large number of the states, these United States, voted for it, but fell just a few states short of full ratification, um, because I believe that we need to have two-thirds of the states um, ratify the ERA, um, and it did fall just a, I believe, I think it was maybe like three or four states short, um, but uh, this is the new push for the ERA, um, the Equal Rights Amendment, which would guarantee equal rights for women under the U.S. Constitution, because it's not in there yet. Um, as uh, of course, uh, as Mona Lisa started out by saying, there are a lot of other laws that have been made um, to protect women and, and, and women's rights and such. But in the Constitution itself, um, which is, the, as you said, the mothership, so to speak, of our, of our legal system um, here in the United States, it's something that's very important uh, to protect uh, all women now and going forward. So if you want more information, uh, you can go to equalrightsamendment.org. Or now.org. Now.org has a, a really good informative section on that, and they talk about the um, the three state st- strategy. and um, In 2009, they passed a resolution to support it, and I know every year that it comes up in Congress, and it, it really has to do with that April Fool's joke that because we have these other similar laws that try to reflect that a lot of people, I think, have been lulled into a sense of, of, um, uh, of ease where they just don't realize that we still don't have equality. We don't legally have it. That's the word for Women's Magazine, folks. I want to thank Mona Lisa Wallace Esquire for being my guest today. And uh, I look forward to expanding upon this topic throughout the year. And uh, and also jumping in to talk about the international CEDAW, the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. So um, I want to play some music and uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Women's Magazine on Mutiny Radio here in San Francisco. <laughs>
chances, you're my chances. Well, thank you for tuning in to Women's Magazine. I'm just going to wrap up here in just a few minutes. And and uh, please come on down to uh, he, to uh, visit us here at Mutiny Radio. We're at 2781 21st Street. That's at the corner of 21st and Florida in the Mission District. Uh, coming up next, we'll be uh, having the Common Thread Collective um, with Diamond Dave, who's on his way. And I'll be here, too, running the boards. And all of our friends who come through to make this community space, make, uh, make use of this community space as we stream around the planet on the internet. Um, and it is National Poetry Month. And I wrote a couple of new poems recently, um, but I, uh, I left them at home. So I, I do, uh, I'm not without completely. So I do want to read you a little poem I wrote um, because I also teach English as a f- foreign language. Or, and um, so I think a lot about uh, the way we communicate and the expressions uh, that that people are so eager to to um, well to implement. I mean, I, I have students who come, and you know, some of them are really focused and really want to go to a university here, and so they're you know they're trying to take these uh, the test that's going to get them into these into our universities um, because they see that opportunity um, but there's also a lot of people who come through and they just want to speak English they just want to be able to converse with people around the world and make friends and uh, and connect um, so I was thinking a lot about the privilege of English as a, as a language um, the fact that you can tr- if you speak English you can travel almost anywhere in the world and get by a little bit um, or, or a lot, um, and I love I love going to Europe or someplace where you end up having a, an English, a conversation in English with somebody, and they're they're very eloquent, um, and they say, "But my English isn't very good," and uh, you know it always kind of humbles me for a moment, and I think, "Oh my God!" I mean, if you you know it's a classic retort as well. Your English is better than my than my German. You know, your English is better than my Spanish, um, and uh, and and I think it really is important to uh, recognize uh, other languages. And 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 although it's wonderful for there to be a worldwide language that people can communicate with, um, I also want to give a lot of respect to the various languages and the beauty uh, that they possess. Um, and with that said, um, here's a little poem I wrote, um, kind of about traveling. We glide through our world with the gifts of our words extrapolating meaning, articulating feelings, free to set about in a flourish of being heard. Yet, find yourself in a foreign, in a land of a foreign tongue, where having a way with words will do you little good. Hands, arms, and face contort to support that which you need and know in your heart. And sometimes it shines through, if you've got the right eyes looking at you. That see beyond color, to see only light, with a twinkle of patience and the love of what's right, soon you'll have water, shelter, or food. Would you do the same in your heart? Is there room? Thanks for listening to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. Happy National Poetry Month. And uh, going forward, uh, let's, let's, let's keep working towards making a society 
whether it be our local community or the world at large, um, or passing national laws or passing internet or ratifying uh, national or international treaties to really look out for one another, um, to respect one another and, uh, not just take each other for granted, not take any of our rights for granted. Um, so just remember whenever your aspirations seem outrageous, that inspiration is contagious. Peace and thank you and stay tuned for the Common Thread Collective and I will see you here next week for Women's Magazine at 2 p.m. on mutinyradio.fm or pcrcollective.org. Thanks for listening and thanks to my guest, Mona Lisa Wallace. I heard she broke your heart again So now you're gonna come and see me We're back to the start again When's she gonna set me free? I've been there time and time again The girl's no good for me and you She hurts me too I heard she broke your heart again I heard she broke your heart
Don't try to show 